0: Notations is all about allowing interesting people the opportunity to share their opinions and ideas. Some listeners may find the opinions and content expressed disturbing and or objectionable. done, And I make no promises about where this is going to end up. It could be, it could be klugey. It could be great. It could be terrible. But we're going to try. Okay, so I'm going to try to get get him on the phone. Let's see. Let's see how this goes. Are you ready? Let's see. Where are we? Dial the number. Dial the number. Here we go. One. Okay. Here we go. Let's see what we got to put this kludgy, jacked up system in the phone. And, oh, there we go. Everything is rigged, as we like to say, it's all rigged. Oh boy. Just I hope he answers. Let's see if he answers or not. He's taking his merry sweet time, isn't he? Picking up the phone. Hey, Dr. Oh, Nassar, we found you.
1: Yeah, how are you? I'm
0: fine. We, I'm so happy to hear your voice. I, I was hoping for proof of life, like I was waiting for like a newspaper with today's date on it from Cincinnati or something that said legitimately that you're <laughs> alive, right? That you hadn't been captured by Al-Qaeda terrorists and spirited away to some weird place in the Middle East. You are alive, <laughs> which is awesome. Yeah, Yes. Yeah. No, that is good news. <laughs> it, it, it's really good news. I'm really glad that you are alive. Well, okay. So, so Nisarg, we're, this this is the this is COVID six. This is the Nisarg episode. Okay. Okay. Because I like it. Yeah. Because we we really have to we have to keep it lighthearted, right? Because this is going to be a trying week yeah. for the country, and I, I think it, it's really important that we we get to we get to business. You know, business is. Yeah, you know what business is? Yeah, with a D. With a, yeah, with a D, because you're you're not from Texas, but you understand what business is, and business, business is becoming a doctor. Do you yeah, do you agree? Uh,
1: yeah, almost there.
0: Are you? I do, yeah. Ha, ha, did, they t- did they tell you you're going to be able to become a doctor, or are they going to make you go, go another year?
1: <laughs> Hopefully not another year. It's actually, it's really weird. Uh, we got an email last week saying that they were going to graduate us early, but we haven't received any further information and we're not in any classes right now so i really have no idea whether or not i'm a doctor
0: (laughs) you have really no idea okay so here's what i'm going to do i'm going to i'm going to pause and then i'm going to come in i'm going to introduce rotations and i'm going to introduce you does that sound good
1: oh can we can we do this over the phone or do you want me to get on my computer or
0: no i don't know how to do that i'm drawing the phone okay I, I, the, the reason why is I'd love to do it on the computer, but I, I, I went, I've i been into school now twice. I forgot to grab all that stuff on the way, on the way home. So I, ha- oh, I have to God. do it. but the next time I'll go get the, all the Skype stuff and run that out too. And eventually I'll get the whole thing in my home office and I'll never have to go back to school again. <laughs> Won't that, <laughs> that be great? Sound,
1: uh, um, yeah. Okay, let uh, me... How is, uh, you... Hold on. Okay, yeah, Hold on.
0: Go We're going to get there. Okay, so stand by. Okay, you ready? Hello everyone, this is Todd Fredericks, D.O. of the Ohio University Heritage College of Osteopathic Medicine in lovely Athens, Ohio, Dublin, Ohio, and Warrensville Heights, Ohio. There's three different campuses, they're everywhere. Not to mention all the training sites around the state of Ohio, and today I have the wonderful pleasure of speaking with the co-founder of Rotations, the, the producer at large, the, until recently, um, well, just today, return from apparent uh, the apparent grave, Nisarg Bakshi, OMS4. Nisarg? Yeah, are you, are you still there?
1: Excited to be back, yeah. Are you glad? Yes, I am. You
0: are? <laughs> yeah, so so we had planned, Nisarg, that we were going to have like this interview day in Dayton where we'd interview like six people. You scared up. We'd do like six interviews, and then we'd then I'd come back. We'd have a whole bunch of content. Things kind of went sideways, didn't they? Uh,
1: yeah, you know, a lot of my plans for... Uh, <laughs> for the next couple of months I haven't really panned out. But, uh, yeah, you know, I'm glad that we're able to make this work over the phone. Well,
0: what what were you planning on doing for the next couple of months?
1: So, actually, this month, coming um, this week, I was going to go to Utah for a wilderness medicine rotation do uh, that whole month and then uh, go on vacation to Japan uh, for a couple of weeks. Uh, and then I week in Europe as well with my family. So, unfortunately, all of that. Uh, the, fourth the best year was not necessarily, uh, probably not going to happen at this point, but it's all right. It's still nice to be at home and kind of relax and enjoy the time off.
0: So wait a minute, you're going to do wilderness medicine.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The university of offered a course, uh, it's like a two week course and then a two week backpacking course. Wait a
0: minute. You're going go so to gonna you gonna go to the U. You were going to go to the U. The U is like literally twenty five minutes from my second home in Salt Lake. Oh, you, really? You 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 could have stayed with my mom and dad. I already
1: know that.
0: Yeah, they'd they have a spare bedroom. They'd let you. They'd put you up. My mom would have fed you till you wanted to explode. She doesn't know how to make curry, so that'd put you out. But you know what? She makes really good American food, and and it, it you oh, right. you should have told me. I I wish I'd have known because like I said, well, it doesn't matter now. But if you had been going, yeah, you'd have a place to stay for nothing. In 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 lovely yeah. in lovely Roy, Utah, which is a suburb, which is kind of outside of Ogden, very chill, very nice mountains everywhere.
1: That's really yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to go. Um, you know, if I have a chance during residency, uh, so I'll definitely have to take you up on that.
0: Well, you you got to um, you've got to get uh, hooked up with my friend David Morton, the noted anatomist, while you're out there. Because he's he's okay. he's got like a hundred thousand YouTube subscribers. He's the noted anatomist. I mean, he's I, I've been in his bunker like office in the U. I interviewed him. In fact, I got to edit the content and put it up on rotations as soon as we get past COVID. Oh, I got all sorts of friends out. Okay. I got all sorts of friends out in Salt Lake. I mean, we could get you hooked up. You could be having dinner with different people. They get you all dialed in on the whole place. You'd, you'd love. You never come back. <laughs>
1: Because I mean, yeah, that's uh, definitely a concern. I've seen a lot of the pictures. I, I have, like I said, I haven't been out there, so. Uh,
0: well, we, yeah, and so the thing is, Nisarg, is, is you've been accepted to a residency where?
1: Yeah, I, uh, I'm at the University of Chicago for pediatrics, uh, which was, which is my number one choice. So I'm very excited.
0: Why was that the, your number one choice? Don't we have nice pediatric hospitals in Ohio?
1: There are wonderful pediatric hospitals in Ohio, I really—it was a hard choice uh, because I had a, a really good experience at most places I interviewed um, and did um, audition rotations at. But I just—I I, really—I like the city of Chicago. Uh, I enjoyed the month that I spent there um, doing a PGM rotation at Cook County. So it was really oh it was a very gosh. different atmosphere. I found. Yeah, uh, I mean, compared to obviously doing something in Dayton, Ohio, or um, just like a smaller city in Ohio versus you know, that larger urban environment, so, so Chicago's right on the south side, so you get to, I think it's just a lot of exposure, I really like all the faculty, We really like all the residents, so.
0: So are you going to, yeah. are you going to do just straight pediatrics, are you going to subspecialize, what are you going to do?
1: Yeah, right now, so I did a, a picky rotation, uh, I did a couple of picky rotations actually, and, and I really enjoyed it, so that's what I'm thinking for now. Um, I also really like T-Monk, uh, so that's also on the table, but I haven't necessarily. I I, I like the kind of the acuity and all the procedures and uh, sort of the fast paced and unpredictable nature of PICU. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's still up in the air um, for sure, but that's sort of what I'm leaning towards now. I don't think I want to do general quite as much. I I like the kind of the higher acuity and the more um, fast paced type of environment in the hospital.
0: Yeah, there's a, everything's very, very tiny. Everything's very tiny, you know? Hold on. Someone's trying to get a hold of me. He, he didn't take the message well. Uh, so I, I, just, I just deep-sixed him. I'll call him later. Um, it's probably a critical problem, and you know, I'll find out I was three, 30 minutes or 40 minutes late, but that's okay. Uh, so, so everything in the PICU is just tiny, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. What's the youngest? What's the littlest baby that you took care of?
1: So I didn't get to do a, a NICU rotation fourth year. Um, NICU is real tiny, real tiny kids. I think we were consulted on, when I was on HeMonk, I think we were consulted on like a 26-weeker, and oh. he was pretty tiny. But I know that there's a lot younger, uh, usually in the NICU, that I just haven't gotten a chance to see yet. Wow. Um, but yeah, the uh, some of those preemies are, are really, really small. Uh, it's kind of terrifying to try to, you know, hook them up to IVs and do procedures and stuff like that. But yeah, uh, yeah I mean, it's interesting for sure
0: gives you a huge respect for the nurses and stuff doesn't I mean their skin is super fragile and they're just they're just really vulnerable
1: yeah definitely definitely
0: well okay so we got to catch up a little bit so we we talked I think at third year what what's been fourth year been like I mean before the whole coronavirus thing I mean what was fourth year like
1: for you (laughs) yeah so fourth year's a wild ride um in in a lot of ways it's extremely stressful and in something like there are moments where you, you feel almost as stressed as kind of that whole step one process and um, you know, pre boards when you're, when you're studying for exams and stuff. But in other ways, like right now, I mean, post match, it's, it's very, very chill. Uh, you get more free time than I don't think I've ever had as much free time. It doesn't feel like it maybe you know, in undergrad or something, but uh, you really do get time to kind of do whatever you want, um, which is great. Uh, interview season can be taxing. Um, I think, you know, it, it feels weird to complain about traveling and like getting to go to cool cities and having people take you out to fancy restaurants for dinner and stuff. But it does get a little exhausting at a certain point. Um, but it, it's still, it's still fun. I think that it's looking back, it wasn't nearly as bad or nearly as stressful as some of the other moments in my school. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's just interesting. I did a lot of rotations, um, at different institutions. So I got a good kind of, uh, variety of experiences throughout my fourth year. I went to Florida uh, for a PICU rotation and I went to the one at Cook County I mentioned for an ER rotation. Um, I did a rotation here in Columbus in the PICU as well. And then I did a HEMOC rotation in Dayton. So got a pretty good variety. Um, got to travel uh, a decent amount and yeah, I'm back in back in Mason now, back at home uh, because of this uh, coronavirus situation where just kind of hang out at home um, probably for the next couple of months and then, yeah, head off the residency. So, so what what
0: happened, Nisarg? You were you, we'll get to the we'll get to the residency match and boards. Um, <clears throat> we'll get to the residency match and boards. But what happened exactly when Corona started to emerge? Because I have been following it, and I have a friend of mine, a colleague who who was working at Wright Patterson in the ER, and they got the first case. And he happened to be coming off his normal ER rotation right as things started getting crazy in Dayton. So when did when did you get sent packing? You weren't sent packing, you were sent home. What what happened to you guys in Dayton?
1: Yeah, so my experience was weird uh, because I was actually doing a rotation at New the pharmaceutical company in based out of Indianapolis. Um, and they actually had us coming into the office and do a company meetings and, you know, I was assigned a project. And so I, I spent the first week there. This was the first week of March. Um, and then that Sunday we got a phone call that, Lily's actually shifting all employees to work from home. And so um, we, I think that's when it really started to hit. And, you know, I had been following the coronavirus situation, in the news, and reading some, some stuff on it. Uh, but that's when it kind of started to hit as to how serious things were going to be. Um, and then that next week, we, they actually bought an apartment out, so they rented an apartment out for us. Um, but at the end of that next week, we all, the uh, student that I was with, we both ended up leaving Indianapolis and coming back because uh, we were concerned if there was any sort of stay-at-home order or any sort of a national level of a quarantine, and we don't want to be, you know, in a, in a different city. So we ended up coming back, doing the rotation from home here, um, and then that just actually ended last week, and then this week it's just all been online. So, yeah, it's been it's been weird. I actually have not been in any sort of like a hospital setting in, in quite some time. All our rotations have been either online or research-heavy. So, yeah, I, I can only imagine what the situation in hospitals is right now
0: well i'm glad you don't have to find out because what we got to have is we got to have um we got to have healthy young doctors ready to come in and start replacing the pool um as things are 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 chaotic and crazy and and just frankly it's really hard to teach when you're up to your eyeballs trying to deal with critical care patients and so it's probably the best thing even though it's a disruption of your education in a way but keeping you guys safe so that you can be healthy going into your residencies and keeping the residents safe and, and just making sure we have a bench that's got depth in case something like 1918 happens where 30% of the doctors were killed by influenza um, or so. Um, we don't, we don't want Gosh, that. Yeah. yeah it, it's sobering. No. I mean, I was talking to my wife today and she asked me a month ago, she says, what do you really think is going to happen? I said, I'll be happy if we have a hundred thousand or less if we if we get if we if we have 100,000 deaths i'll be very happy because the initial projections were far higher and i think uh, fauci came out today or yesterday and said 100 to 250,000 um it, it it's um uh, and, yeah if you're not a person that thinks in these terms it's really sobering and very difficult to get your head around and I don't know if it's fortunate or unfortunate, but I have been thinking about these kind of things for a very long time. So for me to put those numbers and just spew them out, it's not indifference. It's just I'm so used to thinking about what the impact would be that, you know, like I say, it's pretty weird to hear, hear a, a physician say, if we have just 100,000 deaths, I'll be really happy. You know? It's, it's, yeah, it,
1: and it almost, I mean, yeah. it, no, I was going to say it, it almost doesn't seem like it seems almost absurd to think about. I, I don't, I've never experienced, I mean, of course there are instances that you hear about, but I've never lived through this kind of an experience in which hundreds of thousands of people in the country potentially, uh, you know, end up getting sick or dying and, and yeah, it's definitely sobering. Um, yeah, kind of to your earlier point, I do, I would like to help, you know, and, and I know other med students feel this way too, but I, I honestly feel like, uh, we would end up being more in the way or, uh, more of someone to have to keep an eye on than actually take, you know, any sort of work away or take any sort of, you know, share any of this, uh, sharing of this load with you guys. So yeah, you know, um, hopefully I can help out starting in July, but as yeah, the, the projections and everything right now, it just seems so extreme.
0: Yeah. And the problem is, is that this is just the first wave of this until we have adequate herd immunity in, an, in a vaccine. Um, we're looking probably at two more waves of this, each with, Uh, less severity uh, for a variety of factors, but still not trivial. Um, I will tell you what's happening though on the OU side is that they are organizing um, Lisa Forrester and and folks over there are trying to organize a student government led uh, approach and student governments involved in this in trying to get what I call reverse isolation masks or homemade masks distributed to low acuity uh, populations, uh, medical staff that aren't working with known COVID-infected patients or asymptomatic patients, just to reduce droplet spread in the healthcare system at those levels. And so there is a way students can get involved, and we've had lots of discussions about that, about you know things like care points and just a, a sense of service of helping to link all this this army of people sewing these these I call them rims reverse isolation masks, so that they can get them distributed mm-hmm. to like the staffs of nursing homes and inpatient, uh, you know, long-term care facilities so that the staff themselves are reverse isolating uh, with when they don't need to have dedicated PPE because they're not symptomatic, but they can control droplet spread. And so uh, that's a big push right now. It's going to get bigger in the next couple of days, but I've actually been fighting that battle now for two to three weeks because we know that reverse isolation helps to prevent the spread of infection. And um, it's weird trying to see people get buy-in on that. Something that's so intuitive in surgery, Reason why we wear masks, getting that out to the general right. population, you know, they seem to think there's something mystical going on there, and I'm not sure why that is. Why, but it's it's a tough thing to get social change, isn't
1: it? Yeah, definitely. It's it, it, it. I feel like it's so much things that, at least for me. You know, I took granted in the hospital. I can't count the number of times that I would, you know, wear a mask in the OR, OR. Like, oh yeah, I try to tie it. I end up messing it up, and I'll throw it and I'll grab another one. Like, it's just stuff that. I didn't really think about until uh, so you really need it and then you recognize like how important this stuff really is
0: yeah it, it's you know what I'm really hopeful I keep saying this to people and I've repeated myself and you probably heard it as an infectious disease infection infectious disease committee member I'm I'm seeing a silver lining in that your generation of physicians uh, will never take for granted hygiene and so I anticipate the nosocomial <laughs> infection rates are going to drop dramatically Um in the country yeah, be- because you guys will just be obsessed with the surface decontamination, hand hygiene, and really thinking about how quickly you can hurt someone. If you're not cautious about what you're shedding.
1: That's true. Yeah, yeah. that's definitely true. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I feel like that's one of those things that, you know, you do kind of mindlessly because that's what we're told to do, but now that we're really seeing the importance of it. So yeah, that's definitely, I'm sure. Uh, hopefully this kind of reinvigorates that mindset a little bit more.
0: Oh, I think it will. I think what'll happen is it'll be it'll be firmly ingrained in your generation. It'll be understood in the next generation, and the third generation will forget it again. Uh, because, because what well, it's what yeah. nineteen eighteen. We've already been through this once, right? I mean, fifty at least fifty million people globally died. Um, a tremendous number of people in the United States died, um, and yet here we are, hundred years later, befuddled about the fact that you can have pandemic disease as if it's some mystical thing. And it's like, no, it's not mystical. It, it happens and. So, again, how long does it take to extinguish knowledge? You know, a generation, two generations, I don't know, something like that. But the nice thing is, is right. your generation will not have that extinguished. This is going to be a seminal experience in your lifetime.
1: Yeah, so absolutely. T- so tell me. A, oh, go a, ahead. Uh, no, no, sorry. It's okay. We can no, move on to the next topic.
0: No, finish your thought. I really want to, because we're going to go to a hot, more positive topic, or maybe not so positive, but you'll tell me in a minute.
1: Sure. No, I was just going to say, I have a lot of uh, friends who are residents right now, and I know that this experience for them is uh, very difficult to deal with. I mean, especially because you have to think about, they have to come home at some point. I'm, I'm sure that you personally had to encounter this as well, where you don't want to infect your family, you don't want to, you know, be transmitting inside the house, and you have to take those precautions. But I'm sure that the concern never really goes away, you know. So I, I don't know what that's like, but I can only imagine it's very difficult uh, for residents, physicians, any, nurses. Uh, anybody who's in the hospital has to sort of deal with this on a daily
0: basis. Well, the beauty of it is, it, so far, is and I, <laughs> I've been fortunate enough to be working with a locked-in patient population, which means that we don't, to our knowledge, we have no cases of COVID-19 in that population, and it's a very restricted environment moving in and out of it. Our biggest concern is, is as the prevalence goes up within the population, that we will have a case sneak in either through an admission, which the admission rates are down, obviously, or through someone who is asymptomatic, went through screening and still got through, but was not exercising maximal hygiene. When that happens in a lot population, just like you've seen, there's a nursing home we're dealing with in northern West Virginia right now, um, it, it will be catastrophic because of the comorbidities that live in that unit. And so, right now, I don't have so much of a problem. I do all the infection control things. I take off all my clothes in the garage. I go in a separate hamper. I immediately go to shower right after my shift. Um, I reverse isolate with all patients if I'm going to have anything more than a, an encounter uh, that's closer than six feet. Um, I do all that stuff, but it just takes one, right? And especially in a vulnerable population. Right. And so, I can't, we cannot be aggressive enough as far as I'm concerned in the locked population, say the state mental hospitals, the dialysis units, the chemotherapy units, the those aren't locked, but they're, you know, they're they're pretty, you, a person will spend six, seven hours in a dialysis unit, um, the jails, the prisons, any of the places where you have a sort of a sustained population. That is vulnerable because of other comorbidities. It's a very big concern to me. But, you know, we're also fighting, um, we're also fighting uh, compliance officers and people who are having a hard time getting their head around, well, well, how do we do this properly? We don't have guidelines and trying to train people that in national crisis or emergency, you don't really have guidelines. You, You have best, you have kind of best judgment. Do the right thing. Do what you know is is good. And Joint Commission, CDC, they're all talking about reverse isolation. They say it's a crisis measure. Well, we're in a state of emergency. We're, we're, we're multiple states have been declared disaster areas. I don't know how you define crisis anymore. But when you're at a crisis level, it's okay to use masks on people, even if they're homemade. You know, to and and the science is sound for droplets, but. Uh, so it, it is weird to I'm thankful I don't have to work in an ICU and I'm thankful I don't have to work in an ER anymore because it is a higher risk population as far as the healthcare providers. And, and, and that's, that's, it is I, my, my closest associate in the, in the military, my deputy, um, he is an ERPA, and he goes into the ER and you should see him. He's N95'd up, eye shield, gowns, everything just to work in an ER. Something you wouldn't see normally outside of a of a very, very serious ICU patient in a negative pressure room or ice, you know, traditionally today, it's very common, unfortunately. But Um, right. yeah, hopefully you don't have to get there, but my family is also pretty obsessive oh. compulsive about cleanliness. So there we, we have very strict decontamination <laughs> methodology going in, in our house right now, as far as what comes in, what comes out and that sort of thing.
1: Well, that's good. That's good to have right now. I mean, that's, that's the best way to stay protected, right?
0: Well, yeah, they're not laughing at us anymore. It used to be like they'd say, Oh, you're just a nervous Nelly. You're just a you're just a you're just a, a prepper. And now I feel vindicated. Now I'm feeling like uh maybe that wasn't so silly, was it, that I was doing all this crazy stuff in the past, right? <laughs> so even though I have OCD yeah, about cleanliness, that, that that's working out that's working out pretty good for me now, isn't it? So far, let's knock on wood because I don't want to be the dude that dies on a vent and people say, Yeah, Frederick thought he was smart, right? Um, so let's talk about boards. Because everybody wants to know, what's what's Comlex 2 like? Because I'm assuming you took Comlex 2 and USMLE.
1: Yeah, I took both.
0: Yeah, I figured you would. Tell me about both of them. What was it like? Well, you laugh, but I mean, it's ACGME merger, right? No one really understands what the, the deal. So you guys are all kind of game in the system,
1: right? And yeah, we really don't know it's not so much a lack of guidance as much as it is really, yeah, we have no idea. Um, I took both just to be safe. Thankfully, you know, pediatrics isn't as competitive as a lot of other specialties. So I wasn't quite as worried about like matching periods. Um, Mm -hmm. but I did want to be in a position where I had some say over the city that I live in, the type of program that I go to. Um, so I wanted to, yeah, kind of maximize my chances. Um, I will say the, the step two and level two were, a fraction of the stress of step one and level one are. Um, and people always told me that when I was going into, uh, you know, when you're done with step one or, or you're starting to kind of think about what you're going to do for step two. Um, that was the thing that I kept hearing, but yeah, I definitely would agree. Um, I would say, so, so you yes, asked about level two specifically, so level two has changed, um, this past year. And I don't know if they're going to keep the changes for, uh, this coming year. And that's something that I'd have to look into, but, the way that they change the content is they're adding a lot more OMT and a lot more ethics. Uh, and Interesting. Truthfully, I think it yeah, so it, I think it makes the test way more difficult to predict. I think that it makes it very difficult to study for. Um, I think that the questions are very vague, and, and I, I remember, I, I guess I probably shouldn't discuss specific questions, but there were just a lot of uh, legal terms on there. Like I remember at one point thinking, like this is. I feel like I'm taking like a bar exam. Like there were all these Latin phrases and like, you know, looking at the the nuances of malpractice law and all these different sort of things that would I never would have expected to be tested on. Um, that being said, I did much much better on level two than level one, uh, and I think it's because the content that's outside of the things that you're not expecting, very straightforward, uh, and it's very like real life oriented. It's not the kind of not, I don't want to say the word trivia, but it, it's not details that you kind of memorize for level one, but you don't necessarily need to know all the details of when you're in the hospital or, or when you know, you're know you proposing an assessment and plan for a patient. Hmm. Um, so it is a little more straightforward in that sense. Uh, USMLE Step 2, I think, was, again, very straightforward in the, in the same sense where there wasn't nearly as much ethics or ambiguous. It was just a very kind of exactly what you'd predict kind of an exam you have to know the bread and butter. And then there's like 10% of questions where if you know, it's great. If not guess and don't waste any more time, uh, cause you probably won't figure it out. But yeah, it's very straightforward. Um, I really think that if you spend, I would say a month, uh, a good month of time looking at your resources, doing practice questions, um, you'll probably be okay. And, and most of the people in my class, it's just it's took both exams felt the same way. It's, it's easier it's easier to prepare for uh, and and most people end up doing better Uh, but that being said you you probably shouldn't go in um, overconfident either Uh, you definitely don't want to assume it's easy and then end up doing worse because that's a bad sign Um, as I I sort of would imagine if you're a program director you wouldn't want to see you know someone's scores decreasing uh, as they progress through med school so Definitely don't go in overconfident, but no reason to be extremely nervous or anything like that. Well, pretty straightforward.
0: So, did you you, you took any prep courses, Nasar?
1: Yeah, I took uh, doctors in training, DIT, um, for level two. It was it was pretty good.
0: Yeah,
1: um, I think that it was good for me because I, I don't have a great study structure. Uh, I kind of tend to be a little scatterbrained, be a little all over the place. Um, so like a pediatrician. It <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Speaking of corny jokes. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you haven't started wearing bow ties yeah, yet, help. have you? <laughs> I haven't yet. Please I don't. I do need to invest in like a nice sweater vest. Okay, that, that <laughs> like would be the, okay. Uh... Just,
0: no bow ties, okay? Just don't wear any bow ties. I, it's just a little bit too much <laughs> for me, okay?
1: Yeah, I've never been a bow tie guy myself, but I, I think that I might, I might have to at least get one. You know, as a pediatrician, it's, it almost feels like a requirement. <laughs> it
0: it kind of does, doesn't it? So keep going. <laughs> sorry i was saying keep going you did we we're talking about board prep and um, we we're talking about getting ready for this this big exam that of course will shape your entire future
1: <laughs> yeah uh, so the the course that i took, was helpful um i don't think it's like a game changer in the sense that everyone should take it or, or use it or you know if you don't use it or if you do use it it's going to sway significantly i think that you should just at this point you know third year of med school you should probably know what kind of a studier you are Mm -hmm. um and I think that I know myself I'm I I tend to like I was saying just kind of be all over the place so having that to force me to kind of go through everything at least once um was helpful and I I did that with uh, UWorld kind of I think almost everyone I know uses UWorld so having those practice questions um taking those courses it was more than enough I I felt prepared uh, except for like I was saying a lot of those ethics questions and a lot of that out of left field stuff, but you can't really prepare for that. You just gotta study what you can, and then know what's outside of that, just so you don't waste a bunch of time on those questions.
0: So then, you so you, you take this you take this exam at the beginning of the fourth year. Is that right? When do you take it?
1: Yeah. Um, so I took mine in I'm trying to remember the exact date, but it was in the middle of June um, because I was starting my first away rotation on July whatever that first week of July was, probably like July fifth or something like that. Uh, and I, I wanted to have a couple of weeks of a break and a couple of weeks to kind of get my life together, move out and, you know, uh, do all sorts of the normal person things. Uh, and so I took mine in the middle of June, which is about five weeks of preparation. Um, and I had four days between both exams and I think that was more than enough. Um, yeah, but I know some people take it a little bit earlier, a little bit later. It all kind of depends on what, the um, like sub eyes or auditions or JIs or whatever you call them, whatever your schedule is for that, you kind of have to work around. Um, I know some people had rotations in June and so they had to take theirs even earlier, um, which just means you have to start studying earlier and kind of get it over with. But yeah, you can kind of take it at really any point in the summer. Uh, you can also take it later, but you obviously don't want those scores coming in after you apply or during the application cycle. So probably not any later than like August I
0: would say. So, so back to Cook County now. So you, you took your boards, you're waiting for that to get processed, but you've already kind of thought I, was it Chicago or was it Cook County that made you think to go to Cook County?
1: So I, uh, I, I kind of picked my rotation based on things that I, I just wanted to learn. Um, which, I did have an interest in going to the city of Chicago. Um, I have the family there. I spent the time there before. I wanted to be in a bit more of an urban environment, um, you know, spent a lot of time in Ohio. Uh, but I, didn't, I also just wanted to see more trauma and I wanted to kind of learn how, you know, a hospital in that type of situation tends to triage patients and tends to sort of prioritize the things that they see. Cook County is actually the busiest trauma center in the U.S. Yeah, I know. Um, and, yeah, so it was I mean, it was an amazing learning experience. And I got to kind of do all those things that I wanted. Um, and their program was great. Um, I did, there were, you know, I interviewed at a few programs in Chicago. Um, and, and for a variety of reasons, I, I liked, uh, you know, one by the other. There were pros and cons to each one. Uh, but, yeah, just in terms of the experience in the ER, I think that I got a great exposure to, I did PZR. Um, so I got a great exposure to Pete's trauma, which I don't think that, I don't think I saw a single, maybe one, uh, or a couple during my actual PBR rotation, um, during third year. So I think that I got a really good learning experience out of that. And I did kind of get to test out what it would be like to live in Chicago and what it would be like to kind of take the subway into work every day and, Hmm. um, you know, do the, do the whole big city life. And I really enjoyed it. So it was good confirmation that, uh, that's, that is kind of where I wanted to apply. And it did serve as good interview fodder because I did, like I said, uh, apply and interview at a few places in Chicago. So, you know, if they are kind of asking about connections, uh, I do have family. I've been there many times and I also, you know, rotated through there. I'm familiar with the patient population and a lot of the kind of the challenges that they face and um, just kind of more things that I could talk about during the interview. So it was helpful in that standpoint as well.
0: Yeah. You'll certainly get some trauma in the South side of Chicago. Um, was any of that stuff un- yeah. un- unnerving for you?
1: It was, uh, especially the pediatric side of it. Sure. Um, I, you don't, I mean, I just, in my mind, when I picture trauma, I think of kind of like car accidents mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, like a more accidental cause of trauma. And you see a lot of violence, uh, especially in, in a setting like South side of Chicago. And a lot of it tends to involve, you know, 14, 15, 16 year olds. And it was very sad. Um, but it's also, I think a bit of a reality check and a bit of a, you know, this is kind of the field that you're entering. If you want, you know, if I want to do ped, which I do, is this something that I want to be part of my practice? And I think I do um, because it is such an area of need. uh, And I think being able to be a positive force in that sort of an environment or or a place that faces so many challenges um, is kind of a good experience to have and, and something to kind of figure out if that's what you want. But yeah, I mean, it's definitely hard to see sometimes.
0: Yeah. I had an interesting interview with um, some folks about uh, moral trauma, moral injury, and uh, I'm going to edit that. I I have a new MacBook Pro coming in, in about a week. And so because I have all my stuff at work, yeah, I know, it's it's time. And so I've been editing all the podcasts on GarageBand, which stinks. It's okay. It's okay. But Final Cut's so much easier to edit with. So I've I got a new MacBook and I've got Final Cut coming, and so I'm really glad. And when I get that, I'll get more content that I've got pre recorded. But we talked in this case, moral injury and moral trauma, and how that affects physicians over time, uh, specifically moral injury of being put into places where you can't do the right thing. Um, and you know, sometimes that's that's a that's a dilemma for a physician, and and it doesn't necessarily relate directly to what you're talking about. But it's good that you've had this experience of seeing just how how bad trauma can be, especially when it's, when it's violence among humans. Um, that that gives that helps you start to sort that out a little bit, maybe, and get some perspective and realize what, just what you're saying. That I didn't cause this, I didn't create it, but I can be part of repairing it, and. I hope that I hope that continues to be kind of the focus you have in this because it can really take its toll. There's a lot of ER doctors I know. I know some that work at Cook County, and um, it wears them out. It, you can't see that kind of um, that kind of stuff for a really long time and not have it affect you. You know?
1: Yeah, I can only imagine. I mean, only after a month, I've taught I some pretty horrific things. I, I over a whole career, I'm sure that it tends to have some sort of effect on the physician. Yeah.
0: Well, we're going to have a conversation at the yeah. end of your first year, and we're going to talk about that probably and ask you how that's working and what's it like to, to work at the largest receiving hospital in the in the country trauma center. You know, I mean, it's, it's a busy place, and it's a busy city. Just a real uh, quick... Um, uh, injection here of, uh, of the thought. Uh, I ended this episode with Bruno Sarg because we forgot to do an intro and outro. We got to talking so much. We hadn't talked to each other for, you know, a really long time. And so we're uh, going to stop the episode at this point and, uh, I'll bring up the next uh, one, the sequential one of uh, two of two next Monday. So thank you for joining us. Uh, and now uh, you can listen to the rest of the stuff. Rotations is the weekly podcast of all things medicine and science as part of the media and medicine family of medical storytelling. The opinions and comments expressed on Rotations do not reflect the official or unofficial positions of the Ohio University, the Ohio University Heritage College of Osteopathic Medicine, or the Scripps College of Communications. Guests on Rotations are interviewed in an unopposed fashion so their ideas and opinions can be freely expressed. This episode of Rotations was produced by Todd Fredericks, hosted by Todd Fredericks, and co-hosted by Nassar Bakshi, who was also the guest, and edited by Todd Fredericks. Rotations is co-hosted by a league of champions of all things medical and a few people we sometimes pull off the street. Rotations is copyrighted, and while we welcome citations, tweets, Facebook likes, and other endorsements via word of mouth and social media, we reserve the right to all content. You may use Rotations content under the provisions of Creative Commons, but you cannot alter or edit the content in any manner without express permission of the content creators. You must cite Rotations as the source of any content derived from the podcast. We welcome any comments, and you can contact us by tweeting us at Medical Cinema, for Todd, at Prof Plow, for Brian, Nisarg Bakshi, for Nisarg Bakshi, and at Rotations PCAST, or by visiting MedianMedicine.com slash Rotations. Check us out on Facebook at Media and Medicine. And finally, from me, Todd Fredericks, you can also send me a message through my Facebook page at TR Fredericks. But please, I have a sensitive feelings, so embrace your inner non-hater.